Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not, in Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. So we must ask ourselves, did Jesus say to go out into all the world and explain to people who I am in your own words? No, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Mark 16, 15. Also, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. And yet we are being and have been, in my estimation and from my observance, and this could include myself, wise in our own conceit, where we think that we are going to explain to people who God is in our own words and expect that to bring conviction to them. It's not going to happen that way. The Bible says that the word of God is the incorruptible seed that causes causes men to be born again. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 23. Let me read that to you. Verse 23 through 25, First Peter 1. But being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Amen. The word of God is ever divine and ever liveth and abideth forever. It never returns back to God void, but it always accomplishes that thing which he ordains it to accomplish. Notice that's the word of God. That's not our explanation of God. Notice verse 24, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. Okay, now this would include our own human reasoning and supposed explanations or attempts to explain who the divine, it's the finite trying to explain the infinite, which is really, if you think about that, it's laughable. It can't be done, really. We should let God speak for himself, saints, and just give people his word in the love and wisdom of God. Scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. There you go. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we're to give out the word, we're to let the word dwell richly in us, among us, and through us. And we should do that in all wisdom, Colossians 3, 16. So Peter writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost for all flesh is as grass and all. I mean, who do we think we are, right? (laughs) And all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Amen. The word of the Lord endureth forever, not our words, his words. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. First Peter chapter one, verse 23 through 25. So are we preaching this gospel that Peter is speaking about here? See, the apostles, Christ and the apostles preach the word, the word of the father. That's what we should be preaching unto others. I love what Paul says in Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. The gospel is synonymous with the word of God, beloved saints. God 
God's record of the good news. First, the bad news that man has fallen, man has sinned, man is utterly depraved, desperately wicked, and that Christ came and died. The just died for the unjust, 1 Peter 3.18, on the cross, shedding his precious, perfect blood, sinless blood, to redeem mankind back to himself. He was raised again three days later after being crucified and buried, and he's coming back soon. And one of the things that he's going to be taking us to account to is, are we preaching the word? And this is an exhortation that we all need here, saints. It's easy to drift from this and somehow get into useless discussions with people that don't include Scripture. Notice what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, we most of us are familiar with verse 2, 3, and 4, where Paul is saying, Preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. That's how we are to administer the word, with all first. First of all, it's with reproof, rebuking, and exhort- exhortation, and all long-suffering and doctrine, that is, the doctrine of Scripture. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall the heat from themselves teachers, having itching ears, and shall be turned away, shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, I wonder if we have become, in small part or otherwise, the people that the counterfeits that refuse to repent are turning to, and then we're reciprocating by giving them great flowery speeches and human reasoning and supposed explanations about God, we must be careful that we're not these people that they're heaping to themselves. They like to come to us because we don't bring any conviction. We don't preach the the Bible. Best thing to do, folks, I got ambushed a few weeks ago. I just started reading scripture straight out of the Bible. It's always in season and out of season. We should be giving people the word of God, not our own explanation of it. Who do we think we are is what we must ask ourselves. Amen. But notice here what prefaces or what comes before this passage that we're all familiar with is verse one. Listen to Second Timothy 4.1. I charge thee, Paul is charging a younger minister named Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Notice, God is going to judge us. Amen. And one of the things he's going to judge us on at his appearing is whether or not we were preaching his word. Notice Paul says here in verse 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy 4, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also that love is appearing. Now notice that Paul was ready to meet the Lord. He said he had fought a good fight, he had finished his course, he had kept the faith, because he was preaching the word. And you and I, as long as we're giving them what God says, regardless of their reaction, God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's how we fight the good fight. We finish our course and we keep the faith is that we declare the faith of the gospel as we have on record in the Holy Scriptures. I love what the Apostle John said. Now, we went from Peter, the Apostle, to Paul, and now let's take a look at something John says. He says in verse 10, 1 John 5, 10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Notice the term, the record that God gave of his Son. And we have that, folks in tangible form on record in the Holy Scriptures. Notice also what John says in 2 John verse 9, whosoever transgresses 
and abideth or does not remain in the doctrine of Christ. Where do we get the doctrine of Christ? We get it between Genesis and Revelation. Okay, Christ is the central theme of all of Scripture. He's the sacred substance of the Scriptures. So we preach the Scripture. Remember how many times Jesus and the apostles quoted the Old Testament Scriptures. They preach the Word. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. We must abide in the doctrine of Christ, saints. And then we have the warning. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. Where do we get the doctrine of God? We get it in the Holy Scriptures. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Second John 9 through 11. Okay, after giving an extensive list of apostates who have actually a form of godliness, but to deny the power thereof, the, the power of the authority of Christ to reign in their lives, Paul says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is all in 2 Timothy 3, saints. So he warns about evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. Now, God forbid that we are part of that number. Wow, that's scary. But continue, he tells Timothy, thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child, he tells Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So it's the holy scriptures that are able to make us wise, and we've been reviewing a few of those in this message, and namely Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature, saints. Preach what scripture says. Let God speak for himself. Also, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Amen. Don't try to explain to people who God is. That's It's inevitable that we are speaking to them, but let's make sure we are including scripture and really giving people as everything, the scriptures, and then giving the sense thereof. That's a Nehemiah 8, 8. The elders stood up and read this holy scriptures distinctly, right out of the word. Then they gave the sense thereof. That's one thing. But make sure everything you're saying is littered, absolutely permeated with holy scripture. Your answer is the scriptures. It's always a question of what saith the scripture. And while you're doing that, you're discipling others, that they're just to navigate through the word of God and not to be wise in their own conceits. we got such an epidemic of seminarians who man the pulpits of today's modern church. They are making merchandise of the people. They are, some of them guys are real fancy in their speech. They're eloquent, which Paul decided not to be so that their faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He chose not to be. And some of these guys, have, they're really wordsmiths and everything else. But when you take a step back, you realize in most cases, they're not just teaching the Bible. They have developed their own brand by their own silver tongue, and they're misleading the people. And that is uh, a sad testimony, and we don't want to be uh, of that number. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns us in Romans 16, 17, and 18. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. We are to mark, or scopeo is the Greek word, scope out and name those who cause divisions. And they do that by teaching contrary to the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of Christ. And then it says, For they 
that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own self-serving interest, and their own self-serving agenda and appetites. And notice this, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We must not be simple or gullible and naive. We must take a step back and try the spirits. And the way you try the spirits is by weighing them like the Bereans did against the Holy Scriptures. Notice when the Bereans weighed Paul in the balance, if you will, and what he was teaching, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not those things were true. Because they live by the motto that what? What saith the scriptures? And anytime we realize that the scriptures are saying something different than what we currently believe or were previously led to believe for whatever reason, we must be corrected by the scriptures. You'll notice uh, in our passage here, before we leave Romans 16, notice again, Another warning. I want to read this into your hearing. By good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Okay, so Second Timothy back over here where Paul is telling Timothy, he's reminding them that he has known the Holy Scriptures from a child. And they, they don't rely on anything else. Remain, keep your focus and your thinking on the Scriptures because they're able to make you wise. God's Word is God's wisdom and God's will. Let me say it again. God's Word is God's wisdom and will, not your human reasoning. You'll find yourself in conversations with people that are saying things that are not scriptural. They're not scripturally astute disciples yet. And we must stop them and and help them realize that is not scripture. That is human reasoning. And we've got to be careful to go by what scripture says strictly. It only took one three-letter word to cause the fall of mankind. That right there underscores the importance and need for doctrinal exactness. Doctrinal exactness. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole disciple, friend. And I hope you're in the Word, because if you're not in the Word, the Word cannot get into you. When you get in the Word, the Word gets into you. And may God bless us with hearts of flesh and repentant hearts that are captive to the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the Scriptures, notice the term Holy Scriptures. I love that term. Paul uses it right here, 2 Timothy 3.15. He tells Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures from a child, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. They're able to if you look to the Scriptures and not to your own human reasoning or any other notion or philosophy. In fact, Paul warns, beware lest any man, that would include yourself, spoil or ruin you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Okay, so according to the scriptures, we are definitely to reason, and yet we are to strictly reason with them out of the scriptures, quote unquote, Acts chapter 17, verse 2. Again, quote, reasoned with them, Paul reasoned with the people out of the scriptures, unquote. So again, it's what saith the scriptures always. And also Isaiah 118, let us come now, let us reason, notice God. God calls his people, come now, let us reason together. That's Isaiah 118. And before we move forward, it's very interesting. I just read to you a portion of Acts 17, verse 2. It says that Paul did what? He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And then just down from there in verse 10 of Acts 17, 
Paul comes to the Berean believers, the town of Berea, the believers, the disciples there, and these were more noble than those in Thessalonica from which Paul had just left, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. In other words, they checked out and weighed in the balance everything Paul was teaching against the Holy Scripture. So they reasoned according to the scriptures in the manner of discerning whether or not Paul was actually preaching the truth or not. Again, that's Acts chapter 17, verse 2, 10 and 11. As you know, lots of things, uh, philosophies and human reasonings circulate among people in the modern church. These are winds of doctrine Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4.14. A lot of notions, fairy tales, a lot of flowery words and concepts and philosophies and psychology and all this stuff that floats around and is pawned off and peddled and perpetrated by the false teachers today. And if you're not a person of the Holy Scriptures, you're not a Berean believer. You're not putting to the test all of these men, including the man you're listening to now, yours truly. Like the Berean believers, Acts 17, 10 and 11. What happened? Acts 17, 10 and 11. This is absolute paramount for your discernment and your growth and maturity in Christ. Notice, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the believers at Berea were, in that here's why God said they were more noble. I don't know about you, but I want God to say, my son right here is more noble. He is noble. How many of you listening to me want God to say that you are noble? Like you said to David, this is a man after mine own heart. May God bless us with his holy fear in the innermost part of our being and bosom to have this heart, to cry out to God, Lord, make us, we pray right now, Lord, you would make us noble in your definition of it and that you would cause us to be completely out of sorts and uncomfortable until you can say that we have a heart after you. We're men after your own heart. In Jesus' name, we love you, Father. Amen. So then it says, Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Notice, they searched the scriptures. That's what every true man of God does, every disciple of Jesus. Jesus is first in their life in the morning. Like Job, they say, I have esteemed the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. Think about that. Meditate on it and put it to practice, folks. We got to put God first. And when God's first, his word is first. Not what you think or your own devices to try to figure out how to do ministry. You have no ministry, neither do I. Christ has a ministry, and he's only going to operate that ministry through us as we're crucified with him, dead and buried. That he's raising us up, and he is preaching through us, if you will. Yet not I, remember Paul said, but Christ that liveth in me. Amen. You can't live the Christian life. You've got to be crucified with Christ and let him live it through you. And that's the resurrection life of Christ that we want, folks. And that's only going to come out of a crucified life. And that's how ministry is done. Paul said, death worketh in us, but life works in you. In other words, the death of Christ being enacted every day and causes there to be resurrection grace to do ministry so that the life of Christ and the word of God is preached and works to the glory of God in you, the hearers, the people that are receiving 
the Word of God through the crucified vessels of God in this last hour. You know, that's the vessels Jesus uses. He uses crucified vessels. Everybody else is doing things their own way. It's not going to be a good thing. They can't say right now that they are ready to meet the Lord. They have run their race. They have finished their course. They can't say it. There's not a crown laid up for them. I fear that we also will become the false prophets the Bible so often warns us about in the Old and New Testaments, especially in this last days, with such great apostasy is transpiring before our eyes. But the good news is that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the darker it gets on the earth. Jesus talked about men beholding those things that's coming to pass and their hearts failing them for fear, Luke 21. You and I can take heart and realize that the darker it gets, the more evil men get, the greater the grace of God that is working in the earth and in our lives and through our lives. Romans 5 17. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I don't know about you, but I think that is so exciting. The grace of God is a divine enablement of God in his saints. So the believers at Berea, they tested Paul. They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were true. In other words, they compared what Paul was teaching and his life to the Holy Scriptures and nothing else. That is the divine standard and always will be. Notice what Paul said, speaking of the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. That right there is the resurrection grace and life and glory of Christ working in and through a crucified vessel. Paul said he labored more than they all. He labored harder and more diligently than all other ministers. Yet not I, but the grace, this revelation of the grace of God that is working in us is absolutely a blessing beyond description. Yet not I, I didn't let, I worked hard. I obeyed God. That's our part. That's our, that's what we must do, saints. Those who love God express their love and obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. But then Paul says, I labored and he labored and he labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. You got to love that. And the Holy Ghost can teach you that. I want you to learn that verse and the truth of it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. We're going to go back because we keep trying to read this little passage and we keep getting distracted, right? So Paul says to Timothy that it's from a child that he'd known the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Scriptures are able to make thee wise. There it is, wise, wisdom. See, it's the Scriptures that are the wisdom of God, nothing else. Not in my explanation or yours or your wonderful ability to articulate things. Just go from verse to verse, from passage to passage. And when you lay your head down at night, beloved, you're going to be able to do it with a clear conscience before God, that you gave people God's word and you gave it to him in his wisdom and in his love. God, may it be in our lives in Jesus' name, Heavenly Father. So then Paul says, all scripture all of what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our utterances aren't given by inspiration of God like the scriptures were. The scriptures are given by inspiration of God. They're God-breathed. In fact, Peter said, holy men of God spake as they will move by the Holy Ghost. And that's how we got the word of God. A second Peter 1, 19 through 21. So Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And may that doctrine 
First begin in us, only that which is in the Holy Scripture. That's our doctrine. Reproof, prove and reprove that truth over and over your whole life. And correction, amen, let us be corrected. And instruction and righteousness, it instructs us in the way of God's righteousness. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Psalm 119, 105. I don't know about you, but there came a time in my life when the Lord found my wretched soul and saved me that I had been taught so much in religion, being in Catholic school and all this all my life. I just said, you know what? First of all, I had a pastor in my early days that was a stickler for the Word of God. And I love that. I couldn't be more thankful to the Lord for that man. And so I said, you know what? I am not going to believe. I'm going to be a clean slate right now. My heart, the canvas of my heart is going to be a clean slate. And I'm not going to espouse, embrace, and believe Anything that these two eyes that God gave me don't behold in the scriptures through a thorough study of the Word of God. And I'd read the Bible in the morning. I'd come home at night and just get lost in the Word at the table. Feasting at the table of the Lord figuratively and literally sitting at the table and going through Scripture with my fingers all separating pages in the Bible. And you know how it is, just for rage, just absolutely devouring them. And decided, and I believe that's a quality decision and based right on the Word of God, to study, to show your own self-approval unto God. In other words, you learn the Word of God yourself. And stop relying on men to tell you about God. Really, ultimately, only the Holy Spirit, John says, can teach you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He God uses men, but there's a lot of men out there that are misleading folks. So you got to be careful. You got to be like the Bereans. You don't just take Paul at his reputation. They knew who he was. They put the final authority in the scriptures were the final authority. And that's what we must do so that ultimately it's the Holy Ghost teaching you through the word of God. Then he says that the man of God may be perfect or fully mature, thoroughly, thoroughly. I love that King James word, through and through, is what that's talking about. Thoroughly or throughly. I like the throughly, furnished unto all good works. That's how we're furnished, unto all good works, beloved. It's through the Holy Scriptures. We're made to be mature. We're like the Bereans. We discern everything through the Holy Scriptures. We search them daily. We ask the question, what saith the Scriptures? That's a mature man. That's the mark of a mature man. By reason of use, he has even his senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5, 14. That's the mature man of God who is thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why? Through the scripture. He just goes from verse to verse, from passage to passage. Notice Proverbs 22 tells us exactly how ministry is to work. Don't you just love this? Bow down. Verse 17, Proverbs 22. I really want you to take note of this passage. Remember Proverbs. Proverbs 22 and beginning of verse 17, bow down thine ear. That's an action statement, a command. Bow down your ear. Peer deeply at that is and hear the words of the wise. Now we just read that the scriptures are able to make thee wise. The scriptures are the wisdom of God and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. So bow down your ear, hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart, apply your heart to my knowledge. Now, for more uh, support for, if you will, or more scripture for the fact that the word of God is the wisdom of God. Notice Jesus said in Luke eleven forty nine, it's on record, Luke eleven forty nine. Therefore also said the wisdom of God. This is what he prefaces quoting an Old Testament Bible verse. 
This is how he prefaces it. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. So Jesus is actually quoting Second Chronicles 24, 19, where it says, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, and they would not give ear. So Jesus is saying in Luke 1149, therefore also said the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is the the prophetic, the scriptures of God, the more sure word of prophecy, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. So repeatedly we're seeing that the word of God is the wisdom of God. Now Proverbs, back to Proverbs 22, 17 through 20. One, somebody listening is going to make this a matter of great importance and be richly blessed. Proverbs 22, 17 through 21. Chapter 22 of Proverbs, verse 17 through 21. So he says, hear the words of the wise. Bow down your ear, hear the words of the wise, and apply that heart unto my knowledge. That's the knowledge of God found in the Holy Scriptures. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. There you go. The word can't get within thee unless you get in the word and stay in the word and allow it to continue to circumcise your heart by obedience to it and full belief and adherence to the words of God, the wisdom of God. That's how you drink from the wisdom of God as you dip your cup every day in the word of God. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall with all be fitted in thy lips. Amen. When the words of God are in you, that's what's going to come out of your lips. You don't sit back and devise ways to explain God to people. You spend your time and energy focused on learning the scriptures themselves and that they were to fit it in your lips. You believe what you believe because it's scriptural. And then you take people through those scriptures and teach them and help them not to look to you, but to look to scripture like the Bereans did when Paul was before them teaching. But we got a lot of folks that are doing a conducting ministry that really they want everybody coming back to them because they're building their own kingdom and their own business in this earthly life. And they're making merchandise of people, Peter said, Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. They're getting people to buy their next book, to come back on next Sunday and all this stuff. That's not the way a true disciple and a man of God does his father's business in heaven. And that's the ministry of Christ. No, you get people in the word. They don't need you. They need God. That's what we see in Nehemiah 8.8. They read the scriptures distinctly and gave the sense of the scripture. So there's nothing wrong with having a book that's just preaching in the format of written words. And what you're doing is you're, you're filling it full of scripture and you're giving the sense thereof of the scriptures. But it's all about really the scriptures, not you. So for it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, keep the words of God, which is the wisdom of God, in you as you bow down your ear to the word, you hear the words of the wise, that is those who God used to give us the Holy Scriptures, his divine wisdom in the Bible, and apply your heart unto my knowledge. You must obey, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall with all be fitted in thy lips. How many people want the word of God fitted in thy lips? In other words, that's what comes out of your mouth, because that's what your heart is full of. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Then he says that thy trust may be in the Lord. You're trusting God and 
your trust, paramount to faith, that is synonymous. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Your trust is in the Lord. You're clinging to Him, and that's why you're in the Word, because you're trusting Him and not yourself. You're not wise in your own conceit, as the Scripture warns us. You're trusting in the Lord with all your heart. You're leaning not into your own understanding. In all your ways, you're acknowledging Him, and He's directing your past, and you're not being wise in your own conceit. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? Look, look at that beautiful statement from God. He's asking us, haven't I given you excellent things in writing, in counsels and divine knowledge? Wow. The treasure chest of God's word. What a blessing beyond measure. And that's what the psalmist said when he said he had counted it to be greater than all the gold and silver in the world. Notice verse 21, Proverbs 22. We're finalizing this passage that I might make thee know that is, if you're in the word, you're bowing down to it, applying it and obeying it, that I may might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. So that's how you are able to give the word of God when you're ministering to those who come unto you, as Peter said they would, First Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to everyone that comes and asks you. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, and that is God's definition of being ready, being full of the word of God and the love of Christ, full of the Holy Ghost and the wisdom of God through the Holy Scriptures. That's what we're reading today in these Bible verses that we've been going through. Notice 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Are we seeing a recurring theme here? When God is sanctified in your heart, His Word is final authority. It is your spiritual food. It is your final authority, the final authority of your life and all that you say. And you let His Word teach people by giving it to them. You know, I I just can't tell you how many times that I just put my hand on somebody's shoulder and said, hey, man, I want to encourage you to realize that Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And it's such a great peace that comes because you're administering the divine medicine God's medicine and not necessarily just using your own words or your own explanation. You're giving them the treasure of the Word of God. That's Matthew 6.33. And you're encouraging them to get in the Word of God, to listen. And that goes for lost and saved people. That verse applies to everybody. That's God's Word to people. They don't need my wording. They need God's Word. And, and the great peace that comes. Remember, great peace have they that love thy law. That is the, the Word. The law means the instruction. That's all it means, the Word of God. Great peace have they that love thy law. When you love the law of God, the Word of God, you're going to give people the Word of God. That's the divine medicine of God. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice that the only way to be ready to give an answer is to be full of the Word of God. To have God sanctified in your heart, First Peter three fifteen, and that's what the the, the uh, writer of Proverbs, which is Solomon, is telling us here that we can be full of the Word of God as we are in it. It's in us, 
And uh, it's, the Word of God is going to be fitted in our lips. That's what we're going to speak. So we're actually ready always to give an answer, to be instant, in season, and out of season, to preach the Word of God. Notice verse 21 again as we finalize this passage, Proverbs 22, 21, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. See, the Word of God becomes a part of you. It becomes deeply, it becomes your deepest conviction, and it makes up your constitution because that's what it is. You make it the constitution of your whole life. You've abandoned your own agenda and you've cried out, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And his life, his word, his truth, his grace and love and wisdom are reigning in your life. That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mayest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Okay, let's finalize this message going back to what we started with. Remember, saints, God did not tell us to go explain who he is to people. No, he said, go preach the word and preach the gospel, quote unquote, 2 Timothy 4, 2 and Mark 16, 15, as we spoke about earlier, we are still very wise, I believe, in our own conceits. Hence this message and exhortation from the Word of God. May the Lord bless each of us to true repentance with the fruit of allowing God to speak for himself by simply giving people his word in his love and wisdom. Colossians 3, 16, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, wow, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the Word of God in the wisdom of God is to dwell richly in us, Colossians 3.16. The Word of God must become the emphasis and not us, not our wonderful, skillful explanations of Him. The incorruptible seed is the Word of God and not our explanation or wording of the Lord. People are born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, not our explanation of God, the finite attempting to define the infinite. That's an impossibility. And we base this on 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So it's the Word of God that causes people to be born again. Isaiah 55.11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. And listen, it's kind of like planting a seed. Jesus even used this illustration. When you plant a seed in the ground, you can't even see the seed anymore. It's buried under dirt, under mud. But guess what you have confidence in? It's going to germinate. It's going to break out of the shell, and it's going to begin to grow and to come out of that ground. And that's exactly how it is when we give people the Word of God, not our own explanation, but God's Word itself out of the King James Bible, which is the preserved Word of God for the English-speaking people. What's going to happen? God is going to cause it to germinate in the soil of their heart. You can't see that word once it's put in them. You can't even see it when it's coming out of your mouth because it's words, but it's the word of God. And it's the seed, the incorruptible seed of the word of God that's going to go into their heart. And it's going to, you might not ever see the person again, right? I'm ministering to people all the time in person that I'm never going to see again. Hopefully I will, but hopefully I see them in heaven. We see them in heaven, right? But we know that when we planted the word of God in their hearts, 
we can know that the seed of the Word of God, the divine Word of God, my words aren't divine, God's words are. Your words are not divine, God's words are. Okay, so it's in Mark 4, which is one of the three places we see the parable of the seed and the hearers that Jesus gave. It's, let's see if I remember this, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. There you go. That's the, what do we call the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the synoptic Gospels because several of the same texts and teachings of Jesus are in each of them. But there's always something different. Notice in Mark 4, Mark's account, this is unique to Mark. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. Now notice here. When you plant a seed, you don't sit there and watch the ground to see when it's going to bud and begin to break forth as a plant. Of course not. What are you going to do, sit there for weeks or however many days it takes for that seed to have germinated and then come out of that soil and begin to grow a crop? No. You just go about your business. You sleep and rise night and day, and then the seed springs up few days later, for the earth bringeth forth her fruit, the fruit of herself. All you got to concern yourself with is obeying God, being not wise in your own conceit, but simply obeying him, trusting in him with all your heart and giving people the word of God. Then it'll bring forth fruit of itself out of the hearts of men. Once the seed of the word is in there, just like the ground brings forth according to the seed that's put in that ground. You don't have to worry about that. It's not your place. God will take care of that if you'll obey him and keep Give people his word. The seed produces after its own kind. That's the law of Genesis 1. And that is why it's so important that you and I give people the Holy Scriptures, that we memorize them, that we learn them and or read them to the people, into their hearing, in the love of God, in the concern of Christ. And what happens is that seed of the word of God will produce perfectly after its own kind. It's not a corrupted or a hybrid seed. It's the pure word of God, as opposed to our own explanations and notions and human reasonings. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest has come. To those who sow the word of God, there is going to be a harvest. And that's what we read in Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. There it is. That's the word of God, the incorruptible word of God, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come forth, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves or his harvest with him. God's going to reward those who go forth weeping. Their heart is involved in it. They have a heart of flesh. They're concerned that Jesus was moved with compassion and he went out and he ministered to people and gave him his, his word and healed the sick, raised the dead, opened blinded eyes, did the ministry the Father sent him to do. And that's what we're to do. We're to go forth to be moved with compassion. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, bearing the precious seed of the Word of God. You picture in old times, I'm saying old times, like in the 1800s, and these guys that were farmers, agricultural farmers, they had like this sack they wore. 
kind of like a man purse, but a big one. And it wrapped around their neck and it was full of seed. And they would go out throwing that seed all over the soil so that it would go into the ground and bring forth fruit. That's what we're doing. We spread the seed in the love of Christ into the hearts of men. That's the precious seed of the Word of God. We're going to doubtless come again like Paul and be able to say, I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. I've fought the good fight and I'm ready to meet the Lord. We're doubtless going to be able to come again with clear conscience and notice rejoicing, bringing or seeing the sheaves or the harvest. See, they would wrap those crops after they sowed the seed. And a few weeks or months later, when the crop was ready, they would have bundles of fruit. And that's what's going to be the case for those who sow the precious word of God. Now, let me get back to this little passage here or this little thing I had put together recently about the word of God does not return void. Isaiah 55, 11, as we finish this message, the emphasis should not be on our ability to explain God. Saints, but rather on his word and simply obeying him by preaching the word, preaching the gospel. It's the incorruptible seed that brings conviction and salvation. As we read in, in Romans 1, 16, Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. We must preach the gospel. We don't have a lot of preaching going on, and that, therefore we don't have the, the power of the Holy Spirit moving with conviction on the hearts of men to bring them to repentance. We don't have a lot of anointed preaching. God does and anoint people who don't count him important enough to learn his word and preach it. Again, as we finish, the Lord, did he command us to go explain him to other people or to just preach the gospel? The answer is very clear. Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. God bless you, friend. God anoint you. God bless you to have your bosom to be full of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Acts 9.31. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting, and feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministries disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.